1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in today. We're going to be talking with an organization that I simply love. They are doing amazing work. It's called Feeding America. They are the nation's largest domestic hunger relief organization. They have a, a network of over 200 food banks across the country, and they feed about 40 million people at risk of hunger, including 12 million children and 7 million seniors. But but the reason they're on Go Green Radio today is because they also work to alleviate hunger with a focus on sustainability and environmental justice. And today, we're going to be talking about their work in America's food deserts, as well as their work to keep edible food from going to waste. And our guests today, we have two, are Emily Engelhard, and she is the Managing Director of Thought Leadership at Feeding America, and Liz Baldridge, who is the Director of Sustainability and Food Waste initiatives at Feeding America. And Liz, we're going to start with you. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I am so glad to have you on the show. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having us. You bet. Well, we're going to talk about Feeding America's sustainability and food rescue initiatives in just a moment. But I'd like to start by having you talk to our listeners a little bit about Feeding America. Give us a bit of history and tell us about the mission.
2: Great, I would love to. So to, to jump in, um, I'll start with some background. It's a really great story of how food banking was really developed. It was an individual named John Van Hengel out in Phoenix, Arizona. So in the late, um, the late 60s, he was actually retired. He was a businessman. He was doing some work at soup kitchens in the area and ran across an individual who was kind of rummaging through the back of grocery store bins and really looking for food to feed her family. And she was the one who suggested, wouldn't it be nice if there was a place where discarded food was? You know, kind of like we all go to the bank for money. Is there a place that we can go for food? And so that Darren started the idea um, of food banking. And with that, he established the St. Mary's Food Bank out in Phoenix, and it is the nation's first food bank. Um, Years later, um, as food banks began to increase across the country, um, the National Organization for Food Banks, which um, we were established in 1979, started, and we were originally called Second Harvest um, the nationwide food bank network. Um, but we have we are now known as Feeding America, and so as you said before, uh, we're the largest domestic hunger organization, and we are made up of 200 of those food banks that service um, all over the United States. And under those 200 food banks, um,
1: includes. 60,000 partner uh, food pantries and meal programs. Wow, that's amazing. And the fact that there's a national network for this, um, well we're going we're gonna to find out some of the advantages to that in a, in a little bit. But that is an amazing organization with a tremendous mission. Thanks for that, Liz. Emily, we're going to go to you. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Glad to have you on the show this morning. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. You got it. Well, before we start talking about your organization's work in food deserts and on food access, help us understand the magnitude of hunger in America today. Help us understand the scope of the problem that your organization is working to solve. Absolutely. So I think uh,
3: sometimes people underestimate how big of an issue this really is. There are 37 million people in America, including more than 11 million children who face hunger. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one in nine individuals. So we know from our research that food insecurity exists in every single community in America. We know that children are more likely than the general population to live in a house that's experiencing food insecurity, we'll talk more about what food insecurity means a little later as I understand it, but mm-hmm. um, the risk of hunger is pretty prevalent throughout the entire country. Um, we also know about the different populations and geographies that are more likely to experience um, the risk of hunger. So, uh, we see it disproportionately affecting marginalized populations. So people of color, um, households who have a member with a disability. um, And as I mentioned, households with children, we also see it uh, being more prevalent in rural communities. uh, And we see the Southeast being especially affected. Mm. So if you think about one in nine, when you go to the grocery store or get on the bus and you look around you, there's a pretty high likelihood that someone there is going to be struggling to get enough food on their table for their families. And I think um, it's very easy for us to go throughout our day without really thinking about what a big issue this is.
1: Right. I mean, it's not something that we, we see on TV or social media, I mean all of the other white noise of information that we receive, there's just not much out there about this very prevalent issue and it, and it can be such an invisible problem in, in, in some communities and because of that, and I know that not everyone is familiar with the term food insecurity, um, help us understand how you measure and determine whether or not a household is food insecure. This isn't just a subjective gut feeling. This is There are objective ways to measure this. So talk to us about that. I think
3: it's easiest to start with thinking about hunger, actually. So you think about hunger as this sort of individual physiological condition um, that we have all experienced at times, um, you know, waking up in the morning because we're hungry, maybe we forgot to pack a snack for a long car drive. So this is really a physical sensation that people experience differently. And because of that, it's really impossible to measure, especially across a population So food insecurity is a more broad way of looking at this. And essentially, it's limited or uncertain access to enough food to live an active, healthy life. So conversely, food security is when everyone in the household has enough to eat. How do we get this information? Um, So the census, every December, conducts a survey of the U.S. population. Um, and the USDA, so that's uh, the United States Department of Agriculture, they include 18 questions on this annual survey that ask specifically about access to food. So that ranges from, um, you know, pretty relatively low levels. So if you're worrying whether or not your food will run out before there's money to buy more, um, is that one end? And then the most expensive. Dream is not eating for a whole day because there wasn't enough money to buy food.
1: Mm-hmm. My and, nonprofit organization works with schools, and in some of the communities in which we work, um, children will cry if if they if they know that a snow day is coming because you know that. There may not be food at home, and they would have food at school. And it's, it's really hard for some people who have ample access to food to understand what this is like. So I want you to kind of help us imagine what it's like for people who live in a food desert where you know, they do not have ample access to grocery stores. Talk to us about the day-to-day difficulties that arise for Americans who lack access to food.
3: There are a few ways that we can think about access. Um, Food deserts, when we talk about food deserts, we're really talking about physical access. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, just this week, we released a a research study. We partnered with Share Our Strength, which is another anti-hunger organization. And we did research in rural communities with a goal of really getting on the ground and talking to folks who are experiencing food insecurity in these communities so that we could really try and understand exactly that. What are the circumstances? What does this look like day to day? Um, and as you can imagine, the physical access piece came up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could imagine in a rural community where it might be 20 miles to the nearest grocery store mm. and getting there and back. That's going to take time and money, especially if you don't have a car. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be other logistical issues. Um, who's going to take the kids while you sort of go on this trek?
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Can you take
3: off work to, to, to make that, that distance happen? Um, do you have to carpool, etc.? cetera? Um, and sometimes there are closer options, so corner stores or dollar stores, um But these aren't going to have the fruits and vegetables or healthy options that we know really help a family and children especially to thrive. Um, so beyond the sort of physical access piece, there are these other underlying issues that came a lot, came up a lot in this study that we did, and also reflect what we know quantitatively about food insecurity so it's hard to find a job. Um, when when there are jobs, maybe the employment opportunities are seasonal or they don't pay enough. Um, I can't tell you how many stories we hear of folks who are working two, three jobs, and still don't have enough money for food because of all these other expenses that they're juggling. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we, and that's something and that beyond- you know is so hard for people to understand. I think, and I I want to go uh, into this in more depth, but we've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we'll we'll pick up where we left off. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: your world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to our wild world with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And if you just tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Emily Englehart and Liz Baldridge, and they represent Feeding America, the largest uh, hunger relief organization with a network of over 200 food banks throughout the country. And the reason that we're talking to them on Go Green Radio today is because they have a focus on sustainability and environmental justice. They're working hard in areas where people lack Access to food; that they they have food insecurities. They're also working on food recovery and minimizing food waste. And Liz, um, I want to bring you in because this is a really big question. I want you to take your time on this because this is a a situation that we're hearing a lot more about, and we will hear a lot more about as um, the U.S. EPA's food recovery challenge and some of the goals that they've set to get to before 2030, um, you know, come about. We're going to hear a lot about this. So talk to us about the problem of food waste in America.
2: Yes, and thank you for the question because it is, it's a big question Um, that needs a lot of conversation. And one of the numbers that always still, and I've been doing this work for some time, throws me off is that roughly 40% of food goes to waste. That is a lot of food, especially with so many individuals here in the United States who are food insecure. And so if we think about it from a landfill standpoint and we break down what's in a landfill, 21% of that landfill is food waste. And so when I think about it in my personal life, if there's excess food in my home and I throw it away, I, I do think about the landfill impact of it. And that, that's hurtful. Not something I ever want to do, but what I've really learned is that there's so much more than the landfill impact to food waste. So a couple more statistics is there's a lot of things that go into make our food, right? So 21% of all fresh water, 19% of fertilizer, and 18% of cropland goes to wasted food. So there's so many resources that are wasted just in making food that nobody ever gets the chance to eat. So um, something else to really focus on is there's food waste in every segment of the food industry and the whole supply chain. So the number um, that we talk about a lot is there's 72 billion pounds of food that are wasted, even pre-consumer food. So at manufacturers, at retailers, at grocery stores. So there's opportunities at every single place to really capture some of that food for those um, struggling with hunger.
1: That those are some amazing statistics and I know that you guys have information about that on your website too. Many, anybody that's listening can google Feeding America and you'll find the website there's some great statistics on that. So, Liz, Feeding America is developing programs to collect and distribute recovered food to your network of food banks. Talk to us about your food rescue app called Meal Connect.
2: Would love to. Meal Connect is an amazing program, and I always like to think of it as more than an app. It's really a technology platform. So the Feeding America Network is getting food from manufacturers, food from retailers, um, food from the field, again, anywhere in the food industry. And the Meal Connect app is a technology that allows us to do kind of real-time connections. So if there's an opportunity at a retailer or potentially even at a restaurant. Um, It can be highlighted through the app, and then one of our 200 food banks or one of our 60,000 agencies can have visibility to that donation that's available. And the greatest thing, too, is on the back end, there's visibility and traceability, so we're able to see some of those donations, which are really critical from a uh, recall aspect, um, from Mm -hmm. a tax aspect, and from an understanding where the food is and where we need to get the food
1: as well. That is so powerful. And I'm telling you right now, that is going to be the hottest thing ever in the state of California, because with legislation that, that has been, uh, well, it's already been made into law, but it's in the process of policy implementation SB 1383, um, That is exactly the kind of solution that municipalities and businesses and everybody else who's going to be held accountable for recording and keeping track of their food recovery um, to report to CalRecycle. That is exactly what they're going to be looking for. So that is a really amazing tool. You guys are really on the cutting edge. Liz, I I also wanted to ask you about this because on your website, um, we saw that Last year, the Feeding America Network and your partners rescued 3.5 billion, with a B, billion pounds of food. So, we have two questions about that. First of all, how did you do that? (laughs) And secondly, how did you track that amount? Because that's incredible.
2: Yes, it's a huge number we're very excited about. I will always say there is so much room to grow. Um, How we did that was the 200 food banks. The Feeding America Network is on the ground floor making that happen. So they are going out to retailers. Um, for instance, a grocery store might have a food bank picking up, you know, three to five times a week. They're also going out to manufacturers, whether it's the plants or distribution centers that have products that, while it's great, wholesome, nutritious food, there might be a ding in a box, um, but still wonderful food um, to distribute. Um, additionally, going to places like Starbucks and 7-Elevens and also picking up wholesome food that can be eaten at night but isn't necessarily going to be able to stay in the store for, you know, weeks on end. So there's trucks on the ground all the time. Um, we've got great partnerships that are allowing us to be efficient in how we're sharing through this entire network. It's one of the greatest things, that the, these 60,000 agencies and 200 food banks really work together to efficiently, effectively, and safely get food to those in need.
1: The second part remarkable. of your question, um, oh, sorry, jump in. No, I just said that is incredible. Keep going. That, I'm in amazement.
2: Yes, absolutely. And the second part is a tough part, keeping track. So technology like MealConnect is absolutely helping with that. Um, Additionally, because we are a network, we've got a reporting system. So, anytime one of the 60,000 agencies picks up on behalf of the Feeding America Food Bank or the Food Bank is picking up food, all that data flows up into uh, the Feeding America National Office. So, we're able to get visibility of what type of food we're distributing, where the food's coming from, um, share that back with our donors, and also see some areas of opportunity that we can um, utilize for some future strategy.
1: That's that's amazing. Now, I know that you mentioned Starbucks and I wanna hear more about how Feeding America is seeking out national partnerships to help rescue more food and get it to more people who need it. Talk about your partnerships. Um, you, you referenced Starbucks. Talk to us more about how that works.
2: Absolutely. So, since Feeding America, the national office, Support these 200 food banks and there's these large organizations such as a Walmart or a Kroger um, or a Starbucks. We at the national office kind of manage a lot of those conversations so they're not working independently with the 200 food banks and standardize some of those programs. So for instance, at a Starbucks, there's a consistent program that's run at by each of the 200 food banks, um, just like our national retailers there's a consistent program, as well as our national manufacturers. So when we're able to have that consistency throughout the network and also visibility that we'll be able to share back to the donors, um, it's kind of a win-win. And we're also able to see opportunities. And I love how you use partnerships too. This, this isn't just, you know, a donation. This is us working together to see how we can help um, solve some of their food waste um, concerns at their end. But also, they're looking to us to see how they can help us further our work and do better to get more food to those in need. So, um, it's really beneficial um, on both ends, which is exciting.
1: That is. And you guys really manage those those partnerships well. And you've got the experience to do that, having been an organization, you know, under various names, but for quite some time. So, it's such a trustworthy um network that you've got there. Emily, I want to go back to you because at the end of the last segment, um, we, we kind of had to rush your answer a little bit. We were talking about, you know, what it's like for people who do not have access to food, people who may be food insecure, um, and I wanted to give you a chance to finish that thought and then talk to us about some of the challenges that your organization faces when you are working to increase food access and coming up with strategies for over- overcoming those challenges?
3: Sure. So we had, we were talking a little bit about physical access and food deserts, um, uh, particularly in rural communities. Um, and I think uh, just to emphasize that beyond just sort of the physical barriers, transportation, time, et cetera, we do see a lot of challenges with access to jobs um, at, or folks who are working multiple jobs but still aren't making enough money to get food on the table, especially when they're juggling other critical needs. So housing, utilities, um, especially in the winter or increasingly in the summer, mm-hmm. um, child care, et cetera. So... Um, so folks, folks are really sort of having to juggle a lot of different challenges. Um, and food, we find, in some, can sometimes be a more flexible bill. Mm-hmm. If you think about wanting to get have your housing, and that's the most important thing, housing, and then making sure that the electricity is on. And then food is sometimes the area where there's a little bit more wiggle room,
1: unfortunately.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are some of the challenges that Feeding America faces in working with communities in these circumstances and and how do you overcome those challenges?
3: So rural communities do present a lot of um, particular challenges. I think you'll find that those communities with the highest need are also often the hardest to serve. Um, in addition to the transportation challenges, challenges in securing food and funds, and often there's um, fewer agencies, uh, food banks, food pantries in the communities. So just as the people are struggling, we're also finding that many of those nonprofit and social service organizations are struggling. Um, in terms of our strategy for really working to address these, there's a few component components. Um, you know, we think operationally improving transportation options, expanding mobile pantries. Um, mm. so a mobile pantry, uh, you know, can consist of a refrigerated truck, um, where we're actually bringing the food into the communities where people are in need, maybe mm-hmm. at a parking lot or at a, um, a clinic or anywhere where we find people convene, and then they can do their own shopping um, just wherever is most convenient for them.
1: That's so innovative. Uh, I love that. And, you know, we're going to talk some more about that when we come back. We're going to take a quick commercial break. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: Decide that you have something to say and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. Liz, I want to go to you, um, and I mentioned this before. Feeding America is focusing on helping to alleviate uh, food waste by working with farms. How does that work? Talk to us more about that program.
2: Sure. And this is such an important program because we're really also trying to increase access to nutritious food. And so produce, as we all know, is it can't get much more nutritious than that. So it's really been a focus area of Feeding America to try to bring more produce into the Feeding America system. And we've done this through partnerships with growers and industry experts, um, bringing in bulk sources. So the Feeding America food banks are really large warehouses. They are able to break down large amounts of food and distribute it back out through our agencies to reach those in need. They're also doing things like value-added processing, and we say VAP a lot, which really just means there's food out there sometimes that isn't in the form that's needed to be able to be distributed, so a nominal fee is given to be able to put it in more of a retail size or to get it out of the field. Um, We also work with produce that might not be perfect produce. Um, There's an expectation by consumers here in the U.S. that our produce always looks picture perfect, Um, but we all know that a little dent or a mild bruise doesn't mean the food is tastes any different. Um, so we make sure to have conversations on, you know, how can we get that type of food into the food banking system? And then the last thing we're really doing in the produce world is we have developed some regional co-ops. Um, so we've got eight different hubs around the country where we're really pulling in large amounts of produce and then we're pushing that back out. So, um, We've had a lot of conversations about, you know, rural hunger and and how hunger is in every single community. Well, a lot of times where the food exists isn't necessarily where the individual who needs the food are. Mm -hmm. So we've got really strategic logistics going on about how to effectively get that food to the individual that needs it and help impact their lives by bringing them this fresh, nutritious food.
1: You guys are like the FedEx of food. I mean, you're really, the logistics <laughs> behind everything you're saying is so sophisticated um, and so 21st century. This is amazing. Talk to us about how Feeding America works with manufacturers to alleviate food waste.
2: Absolutely. Manufacturers um, were the core of food banking. Um, it was, you know, the more shelf-stable food, as I think of what people think of when they think of food banking. Um, it's still a major part of food banking. Um, I know we talked about kind of produce and retail um, that now, um, you know, stand together with manufacturing, but we have the ability to go to plants. We have the ability to go to warehouses and pick up, you know, small pallet size, but also full truck size. And this is really great food. Sometimes it's a expiration date confusion that while there's plenty of time left to eat the food, there's a concern it can't go through the retail the retail in time, so it gets sent to the food bank system, or the box color changed because they've rebranded, or something is a little off-size, but nobody can really tell, and that's the type of food we know is, again, safe and wholesome, and so we're able to take that off the manufacturer's hands and get it um, to the individuals who it'll really make an impact for.
1: That is so cool. You know, I have another question, and it's kind of based on a conversation I had with the executive director of a food bank uh, out in Northern California. And one of the things that they struggled with is that, you know, they have restaurants or other big institutions that have a lot of food that, that could be eaten, but sometimes it's a little bit difficult to, you know, to get that food at the right time, keep it safe, keep it, you know, edible. Um, what are some of the best strategies and best practices that you guys have developed for working with consumer facing businesses to eliminate food waste?
2: That's a great call out. Um, And you mentioned logistics before, right? When it's smaller quantities of food in different places at odd times, it becomes really complicated. So we've, we're running different, all different pilots all over the country to learn how to do that better Um, Try and drive down cost of that and try and make it more efficient. Um, But on the other end, you know, consumer-facing business is still retail as well. So Mm -hmm. we know that there's always going to be food at retail. So we have structured pickups to go to retail stores numerous times a week. So those are the um, consistent pickups that we have for consumer-facing businesses. And then the more complicated part is kind of, you know, the one-off that happened you know, smaller quantity, a couple sandwiches here maybe at 6 o'clock or, you know, something from a breakfast aspect. So um, we're strategically thinking about who to partner with, how to leverage our volunteer network, how to leverage um, capacity from a transportation standpoint that's already out there. Because as you said, there's a lot of food out there. It's just a little bit more complicated to get. So um, we're definitely leading the charge and and making sure we're making a dent
1: in reducing food waste there and getting really – great food to those in need. Love it. Now, I want to ask you a question about what it takes for a local food bank to become part of the Feeding America Network. How do they do that? And what are some of the advantages in affiliating with your organization?
2: So the Feeding America Network really is those 200 food banks. And so one of the things I always tell people is go visit your local food bank. Get to know your local food bank. They're probably a little bit different than you think they are. Typically, it's a very large warehouse that's really servicing an area. And I, and I want to make sure to say a food bank is much more than the actual facility. They're running multiple programs and educations and helping their community. But affiliating typically isn't necessarily becoming a food bank. It's typically becoming one of those 60,000 agencies that we've talked about. And those agencies are, you know, Boys and Girls Clubs, um, senior senior care facilities, uh, after-school programs, um, school pantries, and and they're all different sizes. And so the Feeding America Network is set up in that each food bank has its own service area. You can even visit our website and um, put in your zip code and it'll connect you to your local food bank. And I would say reach out to them and say, you know, how can we be affiliated? How can we be part of your network and the larger Feeding America Network? And with that, you get the support of the local food bank um, and of Feeding America. And you also get... Um, audited and um, led by that food bank. So because you're a part of the food bank, then you're able to receive food from a lot of the national donors that we work with. So it's really um, cohesive and it also helps, you know, you mentioned transportation. It also helps with being efficient in how we're moving food across this country and ensuring that we're leveraging the capacity out there correctly to reach as many people as we can.
1: That's fantastic. Now, Emily, I want to go back to you because in order to maximize the impact that Feeding America has on feeding people in food deserts and eliminating food waste, you have to translate the research you do into action. How do you take the staggering numbers behind hunger and food waste and tell the story in such a way that people feel empowered to help?
3: Staggering is the right word. Mm -hmm. Um, With 37 million people at risk of hunger and then 72 billion pounds of perfectly good food going to waste. I think the numbers are pretty shocking. Um, And we do want to get this information out to the public. I think that's sort of the gap. Most people would agree that hunger in this country is unacceptable. So Mm -hmm. when we can get folks to really understand the magnitude of the issue, um, through those numbers, but also through stories and bringing some texture and understanding um, around the lives of the people who are actually experiencing this, then we hope that people will get, um, frankly, concerned and, and even angry that this is a problem that we're, we're facing in this country of abundance. hmm
1: Well, and you do a great job with that. I really want our listeners to get out on your website because in as much as you can access the research that you do, um, you can also see it kind of broken down into bite-sized chunks of... Uh, You know, not just the statistics, but the individuals behind the statistics, the impact on human beings and their well-being. And like you said, so many of the people who are food insecure or experiencing hunger involuntarily in this country um, are children and the elderly and so um you know i just really want to let our listeners know because they're all very concerned about sustainability that not only are you guys doing that but you're also doing uh, a big service to the environment by keeping food waste out of landfills we're going to take a quick commercial break but when we come back we have so much more with liz and emily so don't go away folks there's more go green radio right after this
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26 percent, 43 percent, or 14 percent? All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus. Creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, book 18.
1: Rachel Carson, in the sea around us, said,
2: All at last.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio, so glad that you could all join us, so glad that our guests today could join us. We have Emily Engelhard and Liz Baldrich from Feeding America, and we've been talking about not only what a staggering problem hunger is in America, but the work that they've been doing and the the focus that they have on sustainability initiatives and the focus that they have on eliminating food waste. Uh, Those of us who are geeky about municipal solid waste data know what a huge percentage food is in every municipal solid waste stream. Um, And that a lot of that food could, well, it could be composted, but that's not even the best possible use for it. If it's still edible, it could go to hungry people. And Feeding America is, is providing that, that, Uh, that linchpin between the good edible food and getting it to hungry people instead of sending it to landfills or composting facilities as a first reaction. Liz, you're the Director of Sustainability and Food Waste Initiatives for Feeding America. I want to ask you what gives you the most hope as you contemplate the work ahead of you in this new decade we've just started.
2: I think the most hope comes from conversations like this and the awareness that's really being raised through it. I loved how you just said, talked about composting, you know, not having food going in landfills is a huge success, but from a social aspect and need in this country with so many food insecure, having the awareness that a lot of this food is, is safe, wholesome, edible food is so important. And when I think about it, I I go back to, you know, turning off the lights when you leave the room and when you're brushing your teeth, turning off the water. And I think kind of the next iteration of that is, is food waste. And how can we think about how we can all individually make an impact and also make an impact for our neighbors who are really struggling with food
1: insecurity? It's so true. And and honestly, I mean, you know, this issue even came up in the presidential debate, like for a nanosecond this week um, when, when methane was brought up. And, you know, the U.S. EPA has set some very aggressive goals for eliminating food waste b- before 2030 at, to a huge extent. States like California are legislating around this issue. And knowing that we have an organization like Feeding America that's already been developing best practices, practices, technology, and logistics uh, tools to address this issue is just fantastic. And my hat goes off to you guys for all your good work. Emily, I want to go to you. Uh, Feeding America advocates for hunger relief in Washington, Washington, D.C. You guys do a lot of advocacy work. Talk to us about that work. And then maybe even more importantly, talk to us about how our listeners can get involved and help you guys with that advocacy work. Absolutely. so advocacy, as you said, this is
3: one of the most effective ways that we can educate and activate people who are in a position to help us end hunger. Um, a, a child who can't rely on dinner knows that they're going to get school through the school breakfast program get breakfast through the school breakfast program the following morning. Um, a working mother who maybe can't make ends meet ends meet for her family knows that she can rely on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or as we like to call SNAP, that's normally mm-hmm. the Food Stamps Program. So these and other government food programs really provide relief and hope and assistance for millions and millions of men, women, and children. For the folks that are out there listening, there's a lot that you can do to help, um, I know that Jill has mentioned, but please do visit feedingamerica.org. There's opportunities ranging from volunteering and connecting with your local food bank um, to getting really plugged into our advocacy efforts. There's a trio of SNAP rules that have been proposed by the administration um, that are going to potentially result in cuts to or the complete loss of SNAP benefits which we know is going to substantially increase food insecurity rates in this country. So this is a really important time for folks to get involved.
1: Well, and and I know that it's very easy. We go on your website and you have a take action uh, tab there that we can get involved and you make it very simple for people who, you know, want to, want to move on their passion, so I appreciate that. Liz, this is a a little bit of a different cant, but I want to ask this question because many of our listeners are college students or young people just starting their careers. They want to work for companies and entities that fit their values, but they may not even realize that there are jobs in the Feeding America network. For our listeners who might be listening to you today thinking that you have like the coolest job ever, and they'd love to pursue it, what (laughs) advice do you have for them? So from a feeding America aspect, again, our website
2: has any careers, but it also has careers for all and job opportunities for all of our 200 food banks are able to post on our website too. So absolutely check that out. But also I would say for those in college or kind of starting their careers out Explore opportunities in your local community. Um, again, there's food security insecurity everywhere. And so even on college campuses, and there's a lot of programs, whether it's, you know, rescuing food from the local dorm or, you know, setting up a chapter where you can, you know, run a program, um, you know, start a small pantry, things of that nature, and just really dive into the work and then bring that knowledge um, when you enter the workforce, I think is a great suggestion.
1: Well, and, and maybe even talk a little bit about, you know, the education that, that you received and, and what you might advise people who want to get into this particular field. What, what kind of classes should they be taking? What kind of degrees should they be pursuing if they're college bound?
2: There's so many different Liz. options. It's a... There's so many different options. That's a great question. Um, There's degrees in sustainability now, which I think is amazing, and that's something that was there when I was in college. So I would say explore that. There's also master's programs out there, too. And the other side of it, too, is food policy in general, which I know Emily can jump in
1: and give some insight to as well. Yeah, Emily, join the conversation because I want to ask you the same question. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I just,
3: I totally agree with Liz of, that there's so many options. And I think one thing that's important to keep in mind is that you can follow your passion and then find a way to plug that in to the work that Beating America is doing. So if you're interested in technology, um, you heard Liz talk about Meal Connect and some of the other different ways that we're using technology to try and get around these issues. If you're interested in sales, you could go into fundraising. Um, there's logistics, there's policy, there's research. So I think there's, there's multiple opportunities to plug in with Feeding America and the food banks based on whatever your passion, your existing passion is.
1: Hmm. And in the final moments that we have left in the show, Emily, what are some parting thoughts that you'd like to leave with our listeners today? I think
3: it's just important to remember that although the economy has improved in general, it hasn't for those that are the worst off. Um, And that you may not recognize people who are experiencing food insecurity around you and in your life, but they're there. So Mm -hmm. wherever we can be plugging in and getting involved, again, whether it's through volunteering, connecting with Mm -hmm. the food banks, donating, advocating educating, uh, there's so much that we can all do. It's
1: well said, and I am so grateful for what you do, and thank you for being on the show. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio, and until then, have a wonderful week, and do something in your life to go green.